Welcome back. It's Joker Men Podcast, the podcast about Bob Dylan and his music. And but the ones that are further along in the in the night of his career, one could say. Yes. I'm Evan and I'm a, I'm Ian. And I'm I'm a Ian. <laughs> and, Beat you to the punch. Yeah. He got me. And and we're talking today, tonight actually, we're talking in the dead of night with the uh, skeleton trees um, framing the full moon about a record called Oh Mercy, uh, a record which I believe takes place at night. Nighttime. I, I agree. We have just finished side A, and so, of course, there's only one place to go from there, side B. And sure is. And we're, we were just catching up with the man in the long black coat, a sort of mysterious figure, um, and wondering where this woman has, is going with him. Um, she seems to have abandoned everything to, to run away with the man in the long black coat. Before you get too much further along in this very well plotted out segue, do we want to talk at all about the cover of Oh Mercy? You know, I, I, I do, but I, I, I don't. You know, it does. I don't think that this cover really matches the record. I'm going to say. Yeah, I feel like the cover, which is a, a photograph of a mural, um, of like. Just like a super 80s looking guy in like a big power suit dancing. And then there's a woman. Are they dancing? Is that right? That appears to be what's going on. Yeah, there, there, there's there's the guy on the right in sort of a stop making sense looking coat. Big old suit. Uh, and ensemble. Um, and then, yeah, to the left, we've got a, what appears to be a woman dancing in a in a close embrace with uh, some other sort of partner. It's it's a little difficult to tell. I don't know that she has a partner. Dancing. I think she's maybe just cr- her arms are crossed. You think? Yeah. Anyway, it's done in this very like kind of expressive, very nineteen eighties looking style. There's some. Yes. Bit, the background is blue. There's some bright sort of orange and yellow, gray, and then on top and bottom it says Bob Dylan in all white and. Oh, mercy on bottom and this sort of corny, like scratchy looking sans serif bold face type. Um, like there's like a fake, like texture on it. Like someone drew it, but it it looks very, uh, dumb to me. Yeah. I, I, I prefer the back cover. Do you know what that looks like? I don't know that I do know what the back cover looks like. Uh, check it out. I want to get your live reaction. <laughs> Let me see. It's a picture of Bob Dylan wearing a straw hat. <laughs> top hat. It's a straw hat. Is this a straw hat? Yeah, yeah. It's It's this. Oh, I see. Because I'm looking at a stupid fucking like a bootleg. Yeah, bootleg. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, he's. It's Bob Dylan wearing the straw hat um, that he wore. Kind of a. Like, I don't know if it's the one, but 
He was into straw hats in the 80s, like these kind of... His sort of a, a Jason Mraz kind of look. A little bit more wide brim than that here. But yeah, it's got sort of like some kind of colorful band around it. And it's kind of like a loose knit straw fedora. He looks... He's not wearing a shirt and he's wet. It looks like he was just swimming. And um, he, he sort of like has his hand in his mouth. Um, it's just like black uh, around that. There's like that picture of a close up. Um, it's kind of a cute picture. It is a cute picture. I, I did see somewhere that there is a, uh, cassette version of the record, which where that was the front cover. Um, interesting, but anyway, you know, the record, the, re- the cover could be worse, but it's not could be worse. It's not one of the best. I don't think it's that good. And I don't think that the, I, I don't think it matches. The, I think it's all the record so well. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's all right looking just on its own, but I do agree that it doesn't, it doesn't seem to suit the music particularly well, but as we're well aware by now, Bob is a, <laughs> Bob is a fan of choosing covers that don't seem to make particular sense uh, for the music that appears on the record. Right. It's, it looks like it would be better suited for like an eighties album with, you know, some kind of like, with like a lot of drum machines on it and like a dance sort of bent, but this is not what that, we have. It seems like, like it, I feel like if, if Oh Mercy and Knocked Out Loaded traded covers, I feel like it would make a lot more sense for both of them. I don't think that this knocked out that, that knocked out loaded would work for this. <laughs> I don't think knocked out loaded works for <laughs> almost anything. <laughs> the greatest cover in his uh, discography, you mean? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't see that. But Nothing but orange and brown and yellow. Honestly, the cover of Down in the Groove, if that was used for Oh Mercy, it would make a lot more sense in some ways. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I see that. Just yeah, Bob so give- sort of with a black, you know, just like spotlit kind of ethereally on a stage. Right, right. The, let's switch Oh Mercy and Down in the Groove. That makes sense to me. You know, Down in the Groove, just having people dancing on the front. Isn't that what that record really is? More, it's called Down in the Groove, for God's sake. Why does it have a cover yeah, that looks like true. Bob Dylan like is about to sing you Ring Them Bells? Right. All right. Switch those. You can switch Knocked Out Loaded and Empire Burlesque, too, if you want, because, like, who gives a shit? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I love the cover of Knocked Out Loaded. Uh, you know, sure. In a way, it has something to do with the cover of Oh Mercy. They, like, when you look at them, they, they both got a woman on one side, a man on the other, and um, they, they're both, like, kind of, they're both illustrations not featuring Bob. And uh, they're both not great. Knocked out mercy. Now we're like writing, you know, we're coming up with like those stupid bootleg, bootleg titles. (laughs) It's like, it's a compilation of all the outtakes from knocked out loaded and Oh mercy called knocked out mercy. 
Oh, loaded. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> knocked out, slain. <laughs> knocked out in slain. <laughs> oh, so oh, just oh, slain. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> da- down in slain. <laughs> I guess I'll just explain that briefly. Um, Bob Dylan once played in a place called Slane, and there were a lot of bootlegs based on this. <laughs> the, the immortal Slane train coming. The craziest thing about that whole Slane period was that, like, the day after we did that and talked about it and, like, posted all about Slane, uh, I was on the train, and I, I kid you not, I, I, t- I told you this, Ian, that I looked over and somebody was wearing a hat that said uh, that was for slain Irish whiskey. Yeah. And I just about thought that I was living in a simulation in that moment. The, uh, the IRA was, um, the, you know, the remaining sleeper cells of the IRA are keeping, keeping tabs. So the matrix is real and the world is the matrix, but it's run by the IRA. Right, yeah, they're they're here to uh, to to keep us all in line when we dare to mock the Emerald Isle. That scene in the Matrix where he's like, "When I'm eating this juicy steak, I know it's a steak, but it's instead they're they're eating a haggis." He's like, "I know right. it's I know it's not real." <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. I'm sorry. Okay. I have to have to chill out because the first track on side B of Down in the Groove is what we're about to talk about. Yes, it is. And it is a song that deserves to be talked about seriously with some de- some degree of of sense. Well, uh, because this is it's pro- probably yeah, it's yeah, pro- prob- huh? probably one of the best probably one of the best songs that Bob Dylan's ever it's ever. It's one of the best Bob Dylan songs, in my opinion. Frankly, yes, I think that it is genuinely. I am not ashamed to say that. I think it's one of the best songs he's ever he ever wrote. You heard it here, folks. Evan is is coming out as a most of the time evangelist. In fact, I'll go. I'll raise you. I'll go a little further. I think it's one of the best songs ever written. Well, about like in its in its category for what it shoots for, which is, you know, a song about a lost love, about like the one who got away. I I don't think that there is much competition. Um I think it's probably it's one of the great songs about that. What makes it so great to me, in my opinion, is the sort of the the lyrical device, I guess you could say. It's not quite a, like a device. It, it's not a gimmick. It's more just like the structure of it. It's so simple, but it's so right. profoundly devastating. Um, yeah. Which is to say that he, he sets up all of these things and he says... Most of the time, 
she's not even on my mind. Most of the time, I don't remember this. I don't remember that. I don't remember, uh, you know, I wouldn't know her if I saw her. She's that far behind. Most of the time, I, I, can't, I would can't be even can't even be sure if she was ever with me or I was ever with her. Most of the time, and then suddenly that that same line, most of the time, makes you think about what he's really saying, which is right. he's talking from this again dark night of the soul. This, if this record takes place in the sort of like midnight hour, this makes sense to be the centerpiece of that rec- of this record because it is the classic thing to think about when you are like up in the middle of the night and you're troubled by regrets, longings, and of course the romantic regrets and romantic longings. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's perfectly executed with this song and, and that lyric. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a perfect song. Uh, you know, no, no debate about it. Uh, it's, it's simple, um, uh, short, sweet, but it says everything that it needs to. Production is completely where it needs to be. It, this is a super atmospheric kind of song. Um, this is a very, you know, as, as heavy as the production can be on this record. This is one of the heaviest, you know, most evidently produced songs on the record, but it's like, it makes sense. It needs to be there. Um, it, it, you're like kind of swirling in this like hazy kind of like half dreaming sort of, uh, uh, um, state between, um, uh, you know, lucidity and, and, you know, just like, you know, uh, even, even keeledness and then yeah, regret and, and reminiscing and, and these kind of bad memories that keep flooding back to you. Um, yeah. and yeah, the, the way that he's, he's structured the lyric, I think is like you said, is, is it's genius. He goes, it's pure genius. Yeah. He goes through the, in, he goes through the entire verse, uh, you know, again and again, sort of explaining, how well he's doing and the fact that he's, he's doing okay and, and everything's going okay. Um, I wouldn't change it if I could, I can make it all match up. I can hold my own. I can deal with the situation right down to the bone. I can survive. I can endure. And I don't even think about her. And then all, all of that just right there at the very end is just completely undercut. Most, most of, the, of time. the time. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's so beautiful because he's able He's like found this magic way to retain his dignity in this song. Still be the cool guy while at the same time being as emotionally vulnerable as you could ever be in a song. Right. But he doesn't do it by saying the thing. It's it's all done by not saying it. And that's right. That's such a. It's like a perfect joke in a way. Like it's structured like a perfect punchline, but it doesn't make you laugh. It's like it makes you cry. It's um, right. similar. I mean, I, I think I did uh, uh, earlier. I was I've been thinking about in the wee small hours, the Sinatra record, and it has the song "I Get Along Without You Very Well" on it. You know, there's there's so many songs that Sinatra has done, but especially on that record. 
and that song and it never ne- entered my mind. Like there's, there's all these songs and the title track in the wee small hours like that. Uh, I think Bob Dylan, of course, now we know he spent seven years doing Sinatra-esque standards, but um, even earlier on in his career, like looking back, I think you can see him shooting for something like that. And in this case, absolutely knocking it out of the park, doing something that's really just an essential romantic a love song, but a very uh, of a certain of a certain kind. Yeah, it's a it's a a lost love kind of song. The um, the verse structure, I think, it's also worth noting is is very similar to what he does on um, Blood on the Tracks, where there there is no chorus, and each of the verses leads up to the title of the song right there in the very last line. It, it, Tangled Simple Up in Blue is always the last long... Say exactly, Simple Twist of Fate. Um, Idiot Wind doesn't really work that way, but um, um, uh, what, am I, what am I thinking of? Um, uh, Shelter from the Storm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just these long kind of verbose uh, verses. And, and that's not what's going on here. These, these verses are, are short and sweet and straightforward and not very metaphorical or particularly lyrical. It's just very like, just like to the heart, straightforward, right, right, right ahead. And that's not to say that it's a, a lesser song by any means. It's just like, it, it, it gives it this degree of urgency or like, um, um, universality or something to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the, the simplicity and the, the the lack of um it's completely unvarnished um and and it feels like just a direct kind of window into his heart um and i'm sure if uh you ever got him into an interview he would go on and on about how this is a fucking you know based off of a checkoff story or something yeah, it doesn't whatever. have anything to do with his own personal life but um you know it it whatever state of mind uh, he was in when he was writing the song he was just he was locked on. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a perfect song. I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you listen to the bootleg series release of, uh, outtakes and, and songs from, you know, takes and things from this era, there is a version of it, an early version, which is, um, totally lacking in the feeling that this, record cut has. And so I think we must credit Daniel Lanois with aiming this song, hearing the lyric and seeing that it could be what, what we hear on the, on the record version, because the way that Bob performs it on that, uh, bootleg series cut is like, it's so like off the cuff and kind of folky and like un emotion it's not particularly emotional um and it it's so much better served by the version that we actually get so i'm very thankful that it was able to be realized in the way that we hear it here mr daniel lanois sir we appreciate you from what we've heard from uh mylan and and walter who uh who are on the last uh who are on the episode about 
Dylan and the Dead. They both saw Dylan in 89. And um, I also read a Rolling Stone review of a show from 89. And um, it's unanimous uh, that it was a shit era to see Dylan live. Um, Even (laughs) though this record has so many good things about it, it was not reflected evidently in the live experience. In fact, there were some of the most let in uncommitted shuffling unfulfilling shows he's ever put on. So again, double credit to Lanois for wringing it out of Dylan uh, at this point. But of course it's a very different situation recording a record and performing. Um, So once again, uh, most of the time, 36 plays since. Oh, are you kidding me? Nope. <sighs> well, when when did he last play it? 1992. Jesus. He last he last played it uh looks like about yeah, 2 weeks after I was born. Uh April 23rd, 1992 last play, May 9th, 1992. Uh, the Rodney King riots had just uh, taken place. As far as that uh, goes, I've yet to hear a or find a live version of its of of this song that's any good. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. God, I'm looking at some of these fucking set lists. <laughs> the the first time that he played, um, uh, uh. Most of the time, uh, looks like it was at the Beacon in New York, October '89. Uh, uh, he starts off this set list uh, with "Seeing the Real You at Last," everyone's favorite track from Empire Burlesque, right? Uh, and th- and then we go, uh, "What good am I?" Which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, and then and and then we go into the inimitable "Dead Man, Dead Man." Okay, which you know, uh, now that I'm thinking of it. I feel like Lanois could have made that into a better track. Dead man, dead man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pro- I'm sure he could have made any of these songs into a, into a better track. But it's like this is such a cockamamie fucking set list. Uh, and then and then that old chestnut, literally the only song that he consistently plays live throughout his entire career that gets worse every time he plays it. <laughs> Ballad of a Thin Man. Uh, yeah, Ballad um, of a Thin Man is. Can we just come out and say that it's like. A song that that only worked in the '60s. Yeah, it, it it needs to not have been played after 1966. He shouldn't have played it anymore. Uh, Rank strangers to me. Uh, everyone's favorite. Um, down uh, in the down groove. In the groove track. It honestly is my yep. favorite down in the groove track, though. So. Um, it's 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 grown on me. I like it. I mean, maybe it's not my um, top. But see, here's the interesting thing on it, at this set list, uh, October '89. It, like he, it seems like he has a sense that most of the time he's got something there. Like this really is a big track because the last three songs in the set, in the set, like a Rolling Stone, most of the time, all along the Watchtower. See, um, I, I just know, wonder if he's like not sure about how to do it, or if he's like slightly embarrassed about the way that Lanois uh, arranged it. Because it is very specific, and it, it it does call for a kind of a sense of gravity and emotion, and um, sort of 
quiet. Uh, I, I don't know that in a live setting that was so accessible. From what I've seen, I've only seen a handful of live performance of it on, on YouTube or whatever, but it seems like he just kind of attacks it and ho- and like rolls the dice and hopes it comes off. And it just doesn't. Right. Yeah. I guess it's, uh, that's maybe sort of the, the downside of a record like this that is so reliant on, or not so reliant, but a record like this where the production plays such a major part in, in the overall success of the record is it, it can be challenging to bring these songs off in a live, in a live setting, particularly mm-hmm. when you're someone like Bob who is cycling through so many band members so often and just sort of radically reinventing the arrangements on these tracks as, as often and eagerly as he does. Um, you know, I guess it, it, it makes sense that something like that can't really happen for him, but fuck man, play more than 36 times in 31 years. Yeah. Uh, it, hopefully he'll bring it back when we can get more shows, you know, cause yeah. When we can see him at the beacon in, uh, 2022 he's you know i feel like now more than ever he would be uh able to pull it off in a really spectacular way um oh i'm sure i can't imagine like i would as as i would love to hear him do it now actually because the way that he's been doing even other songs like um i don't know have you heard the version of not dark yet that he's been doing the the most recent like uh iteration of it live i guess you I were at think, the beacon i don't think so i have, but i saw you posted on uh the instagram the other day it was very cool it's very cool it's like almost james bond song type of vibe but like in this very right. like spooky sort of sultry way um he could easily nail most of the time now with like the the, the he's at the height of his powers frankly it's true. And by that, I think specifically, I mean, he really is, I I genuinely believe more than any other point in his career, Bob Dylan is able to like activate any song that he wants to from, from his, his songbook and figure out a way to make it sing. I, re- I really do think that like the period of him doing the standards was like a sort of, chrysalis moment where he was like building up and like learn relearning something or doing something. It, it, it seems to uh, have led to great success creatively. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that we can all get back to seeing Bob and others live sooner rather than later. What I wouldn't give to hear some of the, rough and rowdy tracks in a lot. Can you imagine seeing him play murder most Foul uh, alive or I contend multitudes? Oh God. Gosh. I, uh, I've made up my mind to give myself to you song of the year, by the way. Truly. Damn. God. Well, Joe Biden get on it so that we can all just go fucking see a Bob Dylan concert again. Yeah. I'll literally vote for Joe Biden uh, for second term. If he can pull that off. Yes. Um, uh, second track on second side of the record. Um, what good am I? What good am I? Um, 
boy, I'm just looking at the the runtime, the the, uh, the the list here of of side B. It's kind of crazy that you have most of the time. What good am I? And then disease of conceit. And then what is it you want? It what a track list on on side B, frankly. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Good, good side. What good am I? Is like a little bit like a um, sad celebrity song. Like mm. a celebrity just sort of being like, <clears throat> maybe I out of. I should really give to charity, <laughs> but I don't know. I think it goes a little deeper than that. It's it's kind of interesting to see that this song is something that Bob Dylan is willing to do and go and really go for. I keep coming back to the idea of this record being like missives from the dark night of the soul like he's Bob Dylan is up in the middle of the night and really thinking about the big issues. And, you know, he, he's, he's thinking about his lost love and what could have gone different. And now he's just thinking about like the, the homeless person he sort of walked past earlier in the day and thinking about like, am I really, why didn't I do something? Like I have millions of dollars. Uh, may, <laughs> perhaps he, this is, this is Bob feeling guilty about his, uh, the lifestyle he's leading at this point. I, it, it, it seems to me like it's more of just sort of a, more of a piece with most of the time and some of the other tracks on this record. And it's just sort of a downer kind of introspective sad sack song. Um, but don't you, do, don't do you, you think know? it's about like his, uh, I feel like it is about sort of wrestling with this feeling of not doing enough. The the lyrics like what good am I if I if I know but don't do if I see if I just turn away how I, when I see how you're dressed. Those lyrics like I think it really is directly a, about confronting your own moral failings uh, or really trying to pause and think about what where are you making these judgments against people? How could you be doing something better? Right. In that sense, I do think that like what we said um, about some earlier songs, like ring them bells, uh, it actually speaks to me uh, in a way that feels like it's connected to the Christian records. Um, It is sort of a secular Christian message. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's definitely a sense of um, uh, not shame necessarily here, but guilt or like desired um, desire penitence. For, yeah, for yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it isn't clear exactly who he's speaking to on this song, whether it's a specific person or you know some sort of audience or God or whatever you know. Um, but it, it, it he's clearly sort of mining his own past and his own conscience and looking to make sense of it somehow. And once again, in very simple kind of plain, straightforward language that doesn't, doesn't call attention to itself. The production on the song also does not call attention to itself. It's a very, it's a very simple understated kind of take. Um, instrumentation is almost barely there. 
Um, but, uh, but it's another fantastic vocal take on Bob's Mm -hmm. part. Um, really sounds like he's invested in what he's singing and, and saying and thinking for the first time in forever. I don't know what it was, whether it was just this specific moment in time, this specific set of songs, whether it really was just what Lanois was able to get out of him, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, some combination of all that really, you know, just led to, uh, lightning in a bottle in terms of Bob's actual, like kind of investment and, and, and performance on these tracks. Speaking of what, what Lanois was able to get out of him, I, it's too long for me to read the whole thing, but there is a section on, uh, in Chronicles where Bob Dylan just talks about New Orleans, where this was recorded and the, and his feelings about that place. And it's so evocative and, um, colorful and, uh, deep the way that he talks about New Orleans. And I feel like that has to, you know, it's not only that he's working with this producer who is very clearly try, uh, strategically doing things to elicit a good performance out of Bob Dylan, but it's also this, this certain scenery and the fact that it was mostly recorded at night. I'll, I'll just read a, a selection here from uh, Chronicles. Bob Dylan talking about New Orleans. The first thing you notice about New Orleans are the burying grounds, the cemeteries, and they're a cold proposition. One of the best things there are here. Going by, you try to be as quiet as possible. Better to let them sleep. Greek, Roman sepulchres, palatial mausoleums made to older, phantomesque signs and symbols of hidden decay. Ghosts of women and men who have sinned and who've died and are now living in tombs. The past doesn't pass away so quickly here. You could be dead for a long time. There are a lot of places I like, but I like New Orleans better. There's a thousand different angles at any moment. And at any time, you could run into a ritual honoring some vaguely known queen, blue bloods, titled persons like crazy drunks, lean weakly against the walls and drag themselves through the gutter. Even they seem to have insights you might want to listen to. No action seems inappropriate here. The city is one very long poem. Gardens full of pansies, pink petunias, opiates, flower-bedecked shrines, white myrtles, bougainvilleas, and purple oleanders stimulate your senses, make you feel cool and clear inside. Everything in New Orleans is a good idea. Bijou temple cottages and lyric cathedrals side by side, houses and mansions, structures of wild grace, Italianate, Gothic, Romanesque, Greek revival standing in a long line in the rain, Roman Catholic art, sweeping front porches, turrets, cast iron balconies, colonnades, 30-foot columns, gloriously beautiful, double-pitched roofs, and all the architecture of the whole wide world, and it doesn't move. All that, and a town square, where public executions took place. New Orleans. Exquisitely old-fashioned, a great place to live vicariously. Nothing makes any difference, and you never feel hurt. A great place to really hit on things. Somebody puts something in front of you, and you might as well drink it. Great place to be intimate or do nothing. A place to come and hope you'll get smart. To feed pigeons looking for handouts. He's good. And that's like skipping like a few good chunks of paragraph that are like equally God. I mean, what a, he's great. 
folks, Bob Dylan. It's, it's, it's good writing. I wish he wrote more books. <laughs> We're going to have to do an episode on Tarantula eventually. I guess so. Even though it's in the time of our confession. In the time of our not... Right. Uh, the no-go zone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway... Jeez, like the, I probably skipped. There is one line that um, I skipped that is so fucking cool. Chronic melancholia hanging from the trees. You never get tired of it. After a while, you start to feel like a ghost from one of the tombs. Like you're in a wax museum below crimson clouds. Spirit empire. Wealthy empire. What of Napoleon's generals? Jesus. <laughs> we love him, folks. Anyway, where where was I? Uh, just that this is maybe like the most vibe conscious we've seen Bob. He's very tuned into some kind of vibes when he's recording this. Yes. It is not going into the studio, banging out some tunes, and getting out. This is a an immersive experience, and we really are seeing Lanois do some magical work in terms of... Um, Bringing out, I mean, it seems crazy that Bob Dylan would put a song like this out. Does it not? I mean, this song is the exact opposite of something like like a Rolling Stone in a lot of ways. It's like, right. and it doesn't even have the sort of out of being a Christian song. Like, Bob Dylan is not prepared to say, well, this is about me being a sinner, and that's why I'm, like, so vulnerable. This is just him making a song where he really puts himself on the line. And it works out. It works out. Um, what good am I? And it's something that we all think about, you know? What good am I? What good am I? What, what good am I? What good are we? What good am I? Bob's pretty good. If Bob Dylan is thinking, what good am I, you know... Yeah, well, how good are any of how us? Good are, how good are any of us? Well, what good am I if I make fun of a a guy who has a who's just trying to make a nice Lou Reed fan page, um, even though he has bad opinions? <laughs> what good am I if I if I say that on on my podcast? You know, what good <laughs> well, am I? What good are you? Speaking of Lou Reed. The next track, one of Lou's picks of 1989. Apparently, apparently he's over thinking of Bob as a pretentious kike, something he said. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is... I still, I still think that he meant that he, as a compliment. Well, I don't think he meant it as a compliment, but I think he ultimately... There's no way Bob Dylan did not influence Lou Reed. There's no way. Yes. Um, they... I think it's a sort of healthy rivalry type of situation. Um, maybe slightly unhealthy, but anyway, a crucible and from which great work in rock music and culture came. Um, sure. Anyway, disease of conceit. This seems like a natural progression from what we were just discussing with the, the cr- sort of mor- moral, uh, moral center that seems to be something this record keeps coming back to. Again, Dark Knight of the Soul, thinking about who you are. Literally, what good am I? 
the natural step from that is, is kind of like thinking about everybody. And I really like this song. Um, I really, I really do. I think that the song to me, it makes me think a lot about, I think what he's talking about is sort of like everything that he's seen in, in the rock in in the in the rock and music really world right. just like being somebody who's at the epicenter of such a cultural um vortex in so many ways growing up everything that he's encountered in in that respect all of these people who are industry people all these people who are business people all these people who are fans like there's so many kind of fucked up weirdos that Bob Dylan has encountered, I'm sure, uh, in his life at this point. And at times when he's been a fucked up weirdo, I'm sure. And I think that this song is kind of a empathetic perspective in a way about like thinking about everybody who is afflicted by these dark psychic forces, as Marianne Williamson would say. Uh, hmm. The disease of conceit. Conceit here meaning sort of excessive pride, excessive self-regard to the point where you overlook your your fellow men and women. Yeah, I can't I can't figure out if if this is a great song or a, or sort of a, a song that is trying to be great and doesn't end up pulling it off. It it seems to me it strikes me sort of as like side B's equivalent of political world where like, I, like I can see the direction he's going and, and I think there is something there, but what's on the page, what's actually in the song, like it, it's not, it doesn't do it for me entirely. And, and no, I think you're totally right to compare it to political world because like that song, I think it suffers from the same problem where the main refrain and the title of the song could have used a rewrite. The disease of conceit think, is not a very good or catchy way to put it. I'm a little bit more sympathetic to this song and its and and its title because I think that it seems very deliberate in a way that's kind of um that makes it a little bit hard to just brush off. Whereas political world that seems just like first draft problem. Like, you know, you just needed to, he just could have come up with something a little bit sexier than saying political conceit is so specific that it actually makes me sort of, it gives me a little bit of pause. And I sort of think about what is the meaning of that exact word? It's not a word you hear that often in this context. So, right. So for this song, I actually think it, um, it works especially for, in my opinion, being like a last quarter of the record track. Um, I think the weight that that specific wording uses is sort of effective. I, I, I think the title actually works for me in the phrase disease of conceit. I think that's interesting and, and sort of... Uh, eye-catching and, you know, uh, attention-grabbing. It, it's it's an interesting phrase, and and clearly there's some sort of bigger idea behind it. 
Um, but I, I think the, I think where, where it sort of falls down is the, is the rest of the song, the rest of the lyric, like such an interesting kind of concept and an interesting title, I think deserves, uh, an interesting kind of treatment around it. And what we get is just sort of like, like, you know, the, the second verse, um, uh, there's a whole lot of hearts breaking tonight from the disease of conceit, whole lot of hearts shaking tonight from the disease of conceit, steps into your room, eats your soul, over your senses, you have no control. Ain't nothing too discreet about the disease of conceit. Like, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, it, I really think it's good. I, I mean, I, I think, that I think the, the song way... itself still works in large part, once again, as with Political World, because of what Lanois is able to do with the material here. Um, uh, that kind of like... Um, uh, is is it slide guitar that he's got or he's got the fucking you know kind of thing on his finger um um uh i don't i I'm, i don't know exactly what the exact right terminology is for it, but it you know the the way it sounds i think makes makes it work and 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 gives it um something that that the lyrics themselves lack on the page um but i and i still kind of wish there had been more going on i think it it works um as it is i i think that the lyrics are too um true to for me to ignore as being or to write off as being um overly simplistic i think that they actually what he's getting at is just the truth i actually do really think that this is like a song that doesn't aim to be more poetic um, than, than it needs to be. Um, the way that he talks about the, it being a disease to, to be, to have uh, the disease of conceit, of course, the title is like, um, I think actually a very empathetic perspective in a way that is kind of arresting to me. Um, where where there's so many songs about how people are bad or have you know problems, but putting it as a in the terms of a, a malady, and the way that he frames it, um, especially coming after a song like "What Good Am I," I, I think that it actually makes it into a kind of a powerful statement that uh, is about how we are all afflicted, really, by this sort of demonic force of of wanting to be someone else or wanting to act, uh, wanting to be recognized. And um, I trust that the perspective he's coming at this with is uh, based in some real uh, observations. Like if anybody's going to tell me about people being fucked up and weird, I think that Bob Dylan has probably experienced quite a bit of that. So that's that's, fair. that's where I I give the song uh, some credit. I think about him, you know, in in the middle of all those press conferences in the '60s, and just like right. that. That's what comes to mind when I hear the song. It's just like him thinking about those people, like asking him those like totally insensitive and whack questions, and uh, kind of thinking about like them, and are they so different from me? Stuff like that. I, 
Yeah, I I suppose at the end of the day, you got to defer to uh, to old Lou. Lou was writing songs well in '89 um, when he made this one of his picks. It's interesting to me that um, Lou Reed would have uh, done that in '89 because that's a period when he is doing. That's when he released New York, which is a record full of songs actually kind of like that. Um, Endless Cycle is a song that's, you know, very explicit or, or busload of faith. Like these are songs that are very explicitly about dysfunction and people f- sort of fucking each other over or being selfish or um, uh, cycles of of abuse literally as as an endless cycle so right it it makes sense to me that um this is something lou was responded positively to and again back to what we talked about in the first episode on oh mercy the lou reed uh conversation we were having about a certain lou reed fan (laughs) it's like yeah, maybe that record, New York, is is not the uh, coolest sounding record, but for my money, it's it's this like serious commitment that Lou Reed has to talking about these types of dynamics, these types of issues between people, um, and sort of like everyday tragedies and. Uh, miscommunications uh i think bob dylan is also doing that here and uh that's something ultimately i as i get older is more and more what i want out of music frankly Mm. new york another 1989 pseudo comeback record yeah yeah it is it has quite a bit in common with uh oh mercy yeah, two legends bursting back into the scene after a uh, mid-80s that seemed to have some questionable decisions uh, whether or not they were all as bad as they were originally advertised to be. L- Lou Reed's only real sin was the original rapper. Um, <laughs> I is- really can't can't give that song any pass, but there's plenty of good stuff on new sensations and even, even some good stuff on, on a mistrial. So, um, next, next is a song called, uh, what was it you wanted, which I think is a very interesting song. What do you think about this? I agree. Yeah. I think that this is, uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, it's a l- little tricky, a little difficult to tell who the you is to me, uh, I think. Um, the more we talk about this know. side, I think that this record, the, this side, side B of um, Oh Mercy, is maybe one of the most interesting records if you want to like armchair psychoanalyze Bob Dylan. It's got a lot yeah, I, going on. It's got, there. there's a lot of material, yeah, and short songs, but the, there is a lot to... Um, to dig out of these, um, you know, you would assume, uh, or maybe just walk into it thinking, what was it you wanted? 
you is usually, you know, a, a lever or former lever here. And, and there is plenty of material, I think, that, that kind of sustains that interpretation, if that's, uh, if that's your idea. Was there somebody looking when you give me that kiss, someone there in the shadows, someone that I might have missed? Um, but I think there's also plenty of other interpretations for the, for the you here. I was just talking about how the last song sort of make, made me think a little bit about the people that asked Bob Dylan questions in his right. early days. I think that that's actually even more true for this song. Like, I feel like if you think about Bob Dylan, the the character we sort of imagine in this heyday and like the don't look back sort of moment, um, that it's just imagine him writing that this song then it's, it's like almost like a belated response in some ways it feels like to all of the hullabaloo that surrounded him in those days of him sort of wondering, framing this in terms of, I think pretty explicitly in terms of talking to a a lover. But um, I think that there's a lot going on in this song where he's, it's like he's testing the the person he's talking to and very knowingly sort of setting them up to to find out if they really care about him or if they are just like along for some kind of ride. The lyrics right. where he's like, I'm about to leave. Okay, I'm back. You can tell me now. Um, <laughs> where he's clearly anticipating and sort of, it's almost like he's setting a trap, but he's saying like, all right, now you can tell me what, what you actually want from me. It's very layered. There's a, a lot of, there's a lot going on here, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think that it's, I mean, it, like I was saying, it, it certainly could be that um, what was it you wanted is uh, being addressed to some sort of lever. Uh, but I think it, this could also be the audience. Um, you know, what was it that, that we wanted out of Bob for the last 10, 15 years? You know, are you happy with what you've been given or are you, uh, you know, are you, are you not getting what you desire? What, what was it uh, the record company wanted out of Bob? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think this is, a, this is one of his classic sort of like double, triple entendre songs that could be addressed in a series of different directions and none of the interpretations are necessarily, um, correct, but also none of them are, are incorrect either. Um, you know, uh, and, and like you said, I like that, you know, if you want to do any sort of armchair psychoanalyzing, this is the, this is the perfect venue to, um, to do it in. Um, great. Uh, this is the one with, um, uh, no. Is there is there a harmonica in this one? I think there is a harmonica in this. There's some good harmonica here on the second side. The instrumentation for this does definitely play into this um and and emphasize what I get from this song anyway, which is that it's kind of a very canny sort of like half sarcastic song. The what is it you wanted? it's like he's expecting to hear some bad news. Like you, Oh, like I know you don't really care about me, but also he, he doesn't keep himself out of it. Like 
there are lyrics where he's like, maybe I don't know what's going on. Like, maybe I'm confused. Oh, like, are you the same person who you were a minute ago? Am I different? What's happening here? The whole thing is kind of this, like, house of mirrors where he's kind of pointing fingers, getting fingers pointing at at him. I think it's a really interesting song, especially if you buy in at all to the Bob Dylan mythology. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I don't pretend to know what exactly is happening here, but there's so many times in those old uh, press events and things where he said things kind of like this, like, well, what do you want me to say? Or am I like, what do you want out of me when they, people set him up for, to be this, this great, uh, icon or whatever so this song yeah it holds a lot of potential meanings and uh definitely a an interesting way to lead into the end of this record yeah which ends with uh shooting star um do you like shooting star yeah i think it's nice it's uh it's very simple easy easy note to end on i would say after i mean we've we've just gone through a pretty um again not lengthy none of these songs are are very long or difficult to parse but a a pretty sort of challenging run of material here on the second side uh beginning with most of the time what good am i disease of conceit what was it you want like none of these songs are uh, there, there's a lot of angst on the second side of this record, I would say. A lot of a lot of wrestling and struggling with um, mistakes and with uh, regret and with um, interpersonal uh, you know, confusion, in, and- interpersonal relationships, and with the, the world itself on disease of conceit. Um, you know, he's, he, he Bob is clearly, you know, kind of uh, dissatisfied um, uh, on this record, um, specifically the second side. And, uh, and so shooting star kind of, you know, uh, brings us back home, um, and, uh, and, and gives us sort of a soft landing here, uh, still not entirely without, um, uh, or is still not entirely at peace. No, there's, there's but, some uh, pathos and, uh, gloom to it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, it's simpler and it's, and it's the easier kind of note to, uh, Note mm-hmm. to go out on. Um, again, it, definitely some more Christian imagery here as well. Not a Christian song necessarily, but clearly informed by the Christian period and uh, you know his his experiences uh, as a uh, as a as a man of of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is. A, it's a very pretty song. Yeah, it's interesting to me that um, this is the first song, or this is the song he played. Um, uh, the unplugged session, which we'll, we'll get to eventually. Um, right. Is that like the first song he played on it? Yeah. Uh, no, it's the second track on MTV unplugged is shooting star. Huh. Um, which, you know, seems kind of like a, a, a little bit out of the blue. Uh, how many times have he played this? 126. Not a ton. Not a ton, but definitely but, more. Uh, definitely than, more. Uh, yeah, some of the other ones. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it it's a good it's a good ending, and it's a sort of pretty note to end on. 
that I think also includes some of the more complex themes. But boy, I, I guess I didn't really realize it until we just ran through all of it. But side B of Oh Mercy is not a, not a casual listen, exactly. No. Much to There's, much uh, much to it, think about. Yeah, in the words of Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. God, series of dreams really would have been the best thing to put on this record. Like yeah. I, it, it, it's because I think series of dreams makes sense as a close. Like I, I think it's perfect on the record as a closer because series yeah. of dreams is really kind of how the whole record feels in a way. It's like right. it does feel like a series of musings of different thoughts that you would have in the night. Um, Right. So in the unofficial, you know, the head canon uh, of of Jokerman podcast, just, you know, do yourself a favor. When you listen to this, throw in series of dreams too. like cue that up there at the end. And, uh, yeah. you'll- and, then, and then I think I think shooting star also makes sense then as like sort of the like the penultimate. Right. Song. Right. Like series of know, dreams kind of is a- kind of a great way to end the, this record. Um, right. Yeah. But there, there is a video. Been, however, there is a video for series of dreams, and it's a very good video, I think. And it features references one of the one of the great tracks of the eighties, Lenny Bruce. <laughs> Fucking Lenny Bruce! But it, it, you know, it is actually a really cool video that features, like at the time, very cutting edge sort of effects. It still looks cool to me. I mean, like. It's sort of, it's like very like proto grunge aesthetic where like kind of like paper cutouts and like sort of like jagged animation on top of a video and old video sort of layered upon new. Um, It's like, you know, very like visual collage type of stuff. Uh, It's really cool. Um, Check it out. But uh, check it out. I I guess now is now is just the time, you know. Now's now's the time for us to do the thing. It is about that time, uh, and unlike last time, traveling Wilburys Volume One, I have no hesitations about the score that I'm going to give this record. Uh, I I think I've realized actually between between the last episode and this episode, like what how how do I actually how do I actually grade on, on the three star scale? And the answer, the, the answer very simply for me is like, uh, if I'm asking my question or if I'm asking myself the question, is this a three star record? And the answer isn't immediately yes. then the answer is no. Uh, and in this case, right. the answer is immediately yes. This is a three star record. Uh, oh mercy. Wow. Three stars. Wow. Wow. You know, I was thinking that this was going to be a two-star record for me. Wow. But having spent some more time thinking about it, um, I think it is a three-star record. Whoa. It's tough. This one is tough because the 
the version of it in my head that I want to exist includes series of dreams. I know. And it just but, doesn't. But series of dreams is there on another record. And we'll get to factor that into the rating of the bootleg series. That That's true. I, fuck. No, I only, you know what the right answer is. This is the challenge of a system in which there are no half stars. No, this is a two-star record for me. Wow. You heard it here, folks. Saved, three stars. Oh, mercy, two stars. Okay. <laughs> Stop. Oh, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep coming back to that one. Ultimately, I feel that this record is missing something. Okay. What I think it's missing is the series of dreams. The thing that really would tie this record together and make me f- feel totally confident to give it a three star ranking is, is, is some is having the series of dreams on there because that would tell me that it's like Bob Dylan is, he knows what he's doing with this. He knows that this is like an intimate emotional exploration. It would be like if, how I feel about this record is sort of like if blood on the tracks didn't have, uh, buckets of rain or something Mm. like it feels like it's sort of not totally owning up to what it is, which is a really emotional expression. I feel like by ending it with, uh, shooting star, it sort of diminishes the scope of what we've explored with this record. And I, I think that that makes it not complete. That is, that is fair. I will, I will respect your, respect your opinion here. That said, I also gave, I gave a uh, blood on the tracks, two stars, right. but <laughs> I mean, I, uh, you know, blood on the tracks is great, but I do stand by this. It's just a feeling I have where, Something about it, it lacks like a certain freshness for me. There's something that like doesn't totally make it pop. Um, where it feels a little bit too up its own ass. Hmm. As beautiful an ass as it is. <laughs> I'm just compiling, <laughs> compiling a list of the three star albums that we've each given. And I'm, 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 I'm glad to stand on the side of blood on the tracks and no mercy and against the side of the traveling Wilburys and saved. Oh, oh, well, well saved. Look, (laughs) if we ever do a reappraisal saved, I gave three stars because I don't want to go to hell and the traveling Wilburys is a, a perfect, it's a beautiful and I can't, if I stood against that record, if I gave it anything less than three stars, I would be denying the spirit of friendship on this earth. It'd be like watching the uh, Lord of the Rings movies and, and, and thinking, Oh, I don't like that. They're friends. You know, (laughs) you would never think that I'm just in it for the Bob. When it comes to the Wilburys, um, I'm a family man. <laughs> That's fair enough. 
well, I think that that brings us to the end of uh, maybe Bob's most uh, tortuous decade, at least, uh, you know, uh, generally speaking. This is the last release of the so 1980s. Far. <laughs> <laughs> this is his roughest decade yet. Yeah. May he have many more. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so we will be, we will be leaping forward into the next decade. I don't know if we're going to be doing that in the immediate next episode. I think we might have some no, cause other we might have to do dis- uh, detours, uh, through the end of the year. Yeah. There's going to be some others. We, we may do something a little special for the holiday. Uh, that's not my birthday. There's another holiday I'm told that's coming up and, um, we may have to do something sort of unorthodox for uh, Jokerman, and that is go out of chronology to to celebrate a certain holiday. Yes, which comes uh, a holiday that uh, that you might find in your heart. Yeah, listeners, you can you can take that as a as a hint if you like. Hanukkah, yeah. <laughs> the Bob Dylan Kwanzaa record. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know what else is there to say. I think that's uh I think that's about it. Goodbye 1980s. Uh looking forward to uh, uh a bright new direction in a bright new decade here at the end of the millennium. Well, as we know, things are only going to get better. Um the 1990s sort of are a, a ramp which just leads to the beautiful 19 uh, uh 2000s, <laughs> 2000s and then and then 2001, one of the great years, and then Yep, Bob the put out a record on September 11, 2001, commemorating one of the great days of American history, uh, and it just continued to get better from there, uh, right up until uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways <laughs> being released in uh, the midst of a, a once-in-a-century pandemic. That's right. Everything is broken. Jokerman. Jokerman. Of a series of dreams When nothing Comes up to the top Everything Stays down where it's wounded And comes To a permanent stop Wasn't thinking of anything specific Like in a dream where Someone wakes up and screams Nothing Too very scientific Just thinking Of a series of dreams Just thinking